good to be back this year. For those of you that uh, don't remember me from last year, my name is Garrett Barbush. I'm the executive director for Men of Iron, and uh, it's always very special. I'm going to move this so I don't kick it throughout the sermon. Um, it's always very special to come back to Canton. Um, I've spent four years out here at Malone, and uh, it was always just, I get nostalgic coming down 77 off 76. I don't know what it is about it, but uh, it's great to be out here this weekend. We had a great day with your men yesterday, and I'm just so excited for uh, what they're going to encounter this year, the next 12 months, 24 meetings. Uh, this is, like they said, not a program. Man. This, these guys are committing to something that's very important, and uh, we're just grateful to be partnered with Mission View, and uh, it is our goal to continue growing this region out here and, and eventually be able to put full-time boots on the ground here in Akron, Canton, and start counting alone. And so we're just excited to see what God's going to do, and uh, just want to thank you for allowing me to be here. I am, I got the special privilege of... Uh, speaking today on Nehemiah 3, and when Pastor Steve emailed me and said, hey, I need you to, you know, speak on Nehemiah 3, I thought, okay, well, it seems pretty simple, so I flip open to Nehemiah 3, and then I realized, well, this is not a very fun chapter to talk on, because it has a lot of uh, very unique names, very, a lot of uh, unique tribes um, that are mentioned, and I thought, boy, I am going to screw this up if I sit up here and trying to read from Nehemiah chapter 3. But Pastor Steve assured me I uh, could do this and do it well. Um, but man, I'm just really, like, really, really looking forward to today's message because as we were sitting here and in worship, um, my director of development, he jokes that when I go speak or preach, he loves when I cry. And um, this morning as I was sitting here and we're engaging in worship, I started to get very emotional. And uh, that is typically a sign that um, what I'm about to share, I really believe it's for somebody in this room. It might not be for everybody, but I believe it's for somebody. Um, and I believe it's where you guys are at as a community right now. And I believe in my heart that, that God has this message for you guys. So I'm excited to share that. Uh, it's been a, a fun week, the last week. Um, if you guys could put that picture up of my family. I just had a baby girl, our second daughter. Oh, I'm a, I'm a sucker for little girls, but this is Blake, Heather, and my two-year-old, Kendall. Uh, we just welcomed, that, welcomed Blake into the world about eight days ago, so uh, we had a baby, and I'm like, all right, honey, I'm out of here. I'll see you later, um, <clears throat> but she was born seven days late. She was nine pounds, two ounces, and so she is, um, I call her my tank. I'm very proud to uh, say that... Um, she was healthy, everything went really well, and so this is my family, and I'm looking forward to getting back home with them today. So let me get started in Nehemiah chapter 3, and let me preface this by saying this is not going to be a, a very exegetical type of sermon today. Uh, it's not really a chapter that allows for that, and, um, but I, I do believe I don't want to disregard the importance of Nehemiah 3 because I really believe that uh, there are some key principles that we can pull from here, uh, and like I said, it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of it has a lot of unique names, and you're kind of reading, and it's this person built this section of the wall, and this person built this section of the wall, and they were beside this person, and they were beside this person, and it mentions this gate and that gate, and I'm going to kind of break this down, uh, and we're going to pull principles out from there. Now, Something about Nehemiah 3 that you need to know is it's very important, um, a very important chapter because it actually gives us a clear view and a clear picture of what the topography of uh, Jerusalem would have been like and what it would have looked like in this time. So it's a very important chapter. There are some other things I just want to share about this chapter before we dive in. 
Number one is this. There's about 40 key men that are named in this chapter that are involved in the reconstruction of the wall. There's 45 sections of the wall that are mentioned, okay? And there are 10 gates of the wall that are mentioned, all right? So 40 people, 45 sections, you've got 10 gates, and we can clearly see and understand these, these themes of being shoulder to shoulder with those around us, uh, being in community, working together. Uh, you can see this uh, theme of diversity, coming together, people um, of diverse cultures, diverse groups that are coming together to accomplish a specific task. One of my favorite things in this chapter that you see is you see this idea of protecting your home. Uh, what does that look like? You see family involvement. And it's, it's, it's a very um, clear, clear picture, I believe, of a community being shoulder to shoulder. And so that's really what I want to focus on today. And if I could title this message, I would title it this way, How to Champion Community Collaboration. How to Champion Community Collaboration. Nehemiah was able to champion this idea of community collaboration. And so I'm going to give several principles, several steps today that I believe if we follow this as Christ followers... I truly believe that we can be champions of community collaboration. And we as the church, I believe, are called to be that. We are called to be champions of community collaboration. So I want to start here in Nehemiah 3.1. This is where the rebuilding of the wall starts. Okay, It starts immediately in 3.1. Now, it starts at this thing called the Sheep Gate. All right, and I'm going to talk and introduce this idea of the sheep gate. I want to I want to cover this idea of the sheep gate because it's very important. The building and the reconstruction starts at this gate, and it circles right back around, and it ends at that gate. And there's a reason I'm sharing that. We're going to get into that, but it says this in Nehemiah 3:1. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Now listen, they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of, an I'm, I'm going to try this again, Ananel, all right? So why do we start here and what is the significance of this? There's a lot of significant things to pull from this. There's a few things about the Sheep Gate, though, that I want to share that are very, very important to understand. This gate was the closest gate to the temple, all right, which is why the priests were responsible for the rebuilding of this gate. So it's the, it's the closest one to the temple. It's their special project. And it was through this gate that the sheep and lambs that were used in the sacrifices of the temple would have been brought through this gate, okay? So there's, there's some symbolism here that is very important to understand. When people say that the Old Testament is irrelevant, you can prove them wrong by sharing this right here. This symbolism here is, it, it points ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ. I truly believe that with my heart because he was, and what we know as, the Lamb of God, right? And so these sacrifices would enter in and out of this gate. And that's what Jesus did. He enters the world to take away the sins of us, right, of the, of the world. Now, Nehemiah chose to begin the work here. And it, he chose to end the work here. This is also a symbolism because now what do we know Jesus as? 
the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So there's some key things here in Nehemiah 3 that you need to understand about what's going to happen later with Jesus. Okay? Now, the gate also, this is the only one that is mentioned of the ten that was a consecrated gate, meaning it was dedicated, it was set apart. It was um, set apart as holy, as sacred. Okay, and that's why the work was done by the priest. But as they built this sheep gate, what they would do is they would stop, they would pause, they would pray over it, they would dedicate it, they would go on to the next section of the wall they were responsible for, and they would do that there as well before they would continue on in the work. And so when we consecrate something, we obviously, we dedicate that, we set it apart, we're praying specific blessings over that. And their actions are demonstrating here with the sheep gate at least that, listen, this was not just their work, but this was God's work. It was not just for them, but this was for more important things. And the Apostle Paul actually in 1 Corinthians 10.31 kind of you know, brings some light to something like this where he said, you know, so whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God, right? And so Nehemiah starts the work here, and he ends the work here with the sheep gate. And this, just like, like I said, if you start and end with something, it probably can give us a clear picture that it is probably the gate or the most important part of this rebuilding. It is the highest priority. And so a quick summary here. They started here. These are bullet points you can put in your own notes if you're taking notes here. They started here. The work ended here. This was a gate that symbolized the coming of the Messiah. It was a gate that was the only one that was consecrated or set apart, which tells us that it was the highest priority. It is the most important part of the reconstruction progress process. So I want to start now, and how do we champion community collaboration? Well, I believe that we have to follow Nehemiah's model. And the first thing that Nehemiah did with his people was they prioritized. They prioritized what was most important, and it was the sheep gate. It was this beginning part of the rebuilding. And so I believe that the only way that we can effectively uh, champion community collaboration is we have to take a look at ourselves individually, and we have to say, what are our priorities in life? And we need to identify them, we need to write them down on paper, and we need to live those priorities out. It's one thing to identify priorities, it's another thing to live out our priorities, correct? And so they were specifically focused on the sheep gate because it was the most important thing to them. And so what, are, what is important to us as Christ followers? What are our priorities? So why in Nehemiah 3, a lot of the rebuilding is all focused on these 10 gates? Why is that? Well, this is how you would enter and exit the city. And these gates were also where the enemy would attack. And so Nehemiah and his people quickly prioritized that the gates would be the most important part of the rebuilding. And so as, like I said, as Christ followers, I really believe that we need to prioritize. We need to understand what our priorities are in life. In Jerusalem's case, it was their gates. And so they took a look at where would we be attacked. They identified them as the gates, and that was the highest priority. And that same idea, that same principle of knowing where we will be attacked rolls right over to our own personal lives. We need to understand where the enemy will attack first, and that is what should establish our priorities. 
Establish your priorities by understanding where the enemy will attack first. Now, these are debatable, okay? We could sit up here and talk about this and maybe not agree, but this is what I really felt like the Lord was laying on my heart when I, when I was sitting down to, um, you know, prep this sermon and plan for it. I believe Satan attacks in this order. You guys can put this list up on the screen. I believe, number one, that he will attack your personal relationship with God. Number one. He will try to keep you um, out of the word. He will try to keep you out of prayer. He will try and keep you busy and fall victim of what our culture and society, the fast pace that we're all involved in. I believe he will then go for marriages and then your children and then your extended family, your physical health, your friendships and relationships, and then your career and your calling. I believe that this is an order that Satan attacks and he's very, very strategic in how he does this. So why do I share this? Not to give him credit, but to say, listen, I believe these ought to be our priorities in this order. My relationship with God, how do I deepen that? How do I continue? That should be, if I'm shooting at a target, I explained this yesterday to the men in the training, if I'm shooting at a target, what do I aim for? I aim for the bullseye. And so our bullseye in life ought to be that relationship with God, spending time with him, hearing from him, learning more about him. That's what we do in our marriages. Before we marry somebody, we get to know them, right? We spend time with them. We talk with them. We learn from them. We fight with them. And so number one priority in every single Christ follower's life has to be our intimate, deep, personal relationship with God because that is where Satan will attack first. And then it goes into everything else that comes in life. Here's the deal about priorities. Why do I share this? Well, I really believe this, is that when you live a prioritized life, you live a significant life. When you live a prioritized life, you live a significant life. And when you live a significant life, you live a life that shines light to a community in darkness. Establish your priorities. Live those priorities out. And you will very much look different than the people in your community. You will be very different. You will stick out. You will shine. You will be a light. And people will be drawn to you. And they will want to know you more. They will want to know more about your God and your Savior. And then you bring them to church. And you introduce them to Jesus. That's just how it works. But you have to first, and we all have to first establish the priorities and live them out. That's the hard part. In John 10, 7 through 10, it said this, Jesus says, it says this in Scripture, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. I am the way, right? Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Mission View, when we live a life that is abundant in Christ, when we live a full life, when God is our top priority, we stick out. People notice that there's something different, and we don't even have to do a whole lot because it's just him living in us, and we're shining differently. And this means that we don't just stop at accepting him as our Savior. 
It's more than just coming to church on a Sunday. It's more than just serving two weekends a month. But we must continue to build our relationship with him daily. God has to be our top priority. For Nehemiah and his community, the gates were the top priority because that is where the enemy would first attack. And I guarantee you, we need to understand that Satan is working overtime to try and distract us from our relationship with our Savior. We build that relationship through being in the Word, being in prayer, right? Step two, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on step one and step two, and then we'll, we'll hit the rest of them pretty quickly. But I'm going to spend a little bit more time on step two, and this is about protecting your house. How do you champion community collaboration? Well, first you prioritize, and then you must protect your home. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does this have to do with Nehemiah chapter 3? Well, if you look, actually, I'm not going to read through it, okay, because there's a lot of awkward names in this section, but if you write this in your notes here, in Nehemiah 3, 23 through 30, okay, write this down and go back to it later. Here's what you will see. Okay, you guys can bring this up on the screen. I'm just going to give you a highlight. Benjamin and Hashab make repairs in front of their house. Azariah made repairs beside his house. The priest made repairs each in front of his own house. Meshelah made repairs opposite his living quarters. We start to see this concept of people working in front of their home, working around where uh, they live. And Nehemiah was pretty wise. He understood this idea that, listen, God gave him the calling to rebuild and reconstruct these walls. And I think you guys talked about it a little bit uh, last week, and maybe you're going to touch on it next week, but when God gives you a calling, it does not mean that everybody in your community is going to be excited about your individual calling. Not everyone will be on board with that. Not everyone's going to be as passionate about that. And so Nehemiah understood this, but you see, he took it one step further. He knew that people would care about the things that were closest to them. They cared about their homes. They cared about their families, right? And so he said, okay, hey, you care about that. That's the part that you're going to work on. And at least six different workers plus some priests repaired uh, portions of the wall nearest to their homes. So what does this tell us about building community collaboration. Well, number one, I believe that Christian service starts in our homes. Amen? Christian service starts in our homes. We have to take care of our homes before we can take care of uh, anything else out in the community. I mean, these people were fully vested into uh, what was going on with the rebuilding because they were fully aware that they and their families would be at risk if their section of the wall was not rebuilt or the gate near their home would not be rebuilt. They knew they would be at risk. And this reminds me, it reminds me of when, um, you know, the forecasters call for a hurricane or maybe a flood in a certain area of the country. Well, what happens? People go into overdrive mode. They drop off loads of sand, and you see hundreds of people out shoveling the sand in the bags, and you see people working together and stacking the bags, and you see people boarding up their windows of their stores and their homes. Why? Not because they just want to work, but because they're trying to protect what's important to them. They're trying to salvage what they can. And so they go into this overdrive mode of doing whatever it takes to protect their homes, protect their belongings. 
Folks, we are living in a time, I don't know if you can turn the TV on or you're reading the newspaper, but we are living in a time that you can literally decide what gender you want to be and what gender you most identify with. It's not about what you are born as, it's what you identify yourself as. We are living in a time where coaches are being told that they cannot pray with their kids that they coach. They cannot pray with their teams. We're living in a time where people are spending literally hours upon hours and a lot of dollars to try and take the Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools because it says, one nation under God. We are living in a time where the agenda is becoming more and more liberal. God, we are steering further and further away from what God's word and what our principles should be founded on. Why do I share that? I very much believe our homes are under attack. Your children are under attack. Your marriages are under attack. And maybe some people would debate me on this. But I, I truly believe that with all my heart, man, I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting you here just for a moment. But I believe we need to do everything in our power to start protecting our homes. And what does that look like? Well, I'm going to give you some ideas, but we need to first be aware. Are we fully aware of the idea and the fact that our families and homes are under attack? That's a question we need to ask. Are we aware of that? And are we focused on our families? Are we focused on this idea of protecting our home? I have a mentor of mine who told me to check out before my first daughter was born. He said, I want you to go read Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 23. And so I opened it up, and it says this. It says, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Why do I share this? Well, he shared with me, we got together over coffee, and he said, Garrett, this is a great, great verse for fathers to take a look at and to evaluate how they're leading their homes. And I'm trying to look at it and understand, well, why is he sharing this with me? What, what can I pull from this? And he said, Garrett, look at this. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will speak to you. And he said, we need to ask ourselves these questions. How am I guiding my family? How am I guiding them spiritually? How am I guiding them to live a healthy life? How am I guiding them in all areas, right? But how am I watching over my family? How am I protecting them? Am I being intentional in this area? How am I speaking to my family? That's an important one. How am I speaking to my family? You see, it's not the church's job. It's not the youth pastor's job. It's not the children's pastor's job. It's not the children's ministry job to spiritually develop our children. They are a resource and they are a tool that should help us. But, man, it is our job to guide our families to watch over our families, to speak life to our families. I want to show you a picture. And this is just something, you take it or leave it. Um, right before my first daughter was born, 
I just felt like I needed to do something special to dedicate her, her nursery, to dedicate our home, to, to pray blessings over it, uh, to pray protection over it, to pray life into it. And so my wife and I got together and I started to share what the Lord was putting on my heart and, and we decided that we would host a formal ceremony in our home. And we invited a, a close friend of mine, a pastor, he's a mentor of mine, Tommy, and uh, we invited our family. That's who we invited. I've got a, a large family, siblings and nephews and nieces, and we don't live in a very big home, so it was packed, and everyone's on top of each other, and we ordered food in, and we made it a big deal. And this picture that you see, this was uh, just recently, just a several weeks ago for our second child, but what we did for the first one was we just had Tommy anoint the doorpost with oil, and he prayed a special blessing and protection over that nursery. And he prayed for moments for my wife while she would be nursing to be able to connect with that baby. And he prayed for me and he prayed protection over our family and protection over our home. And we invited our family in to see this and to be part of it. And our family would pray over us. And it, it was such a special thing that we said, you know what, we're going to do this for every child. And so just a several weeks ago before our second daughter was born, we did it again and we followed the exact same model. And I don't share this to be up here boasting about my intentionality of protecting my home. But you see, this is something very simple that we need to be focusing on in our homes to protect our homes. So a very, very practical concept of praying over our children. Just several nights ago, I'm laying in bed with my two-year-old and we say prayers every night and she prays for her little sister now. And even at two years old, I love her little sensitive heart and I... I just put my hand on her head. I said, prayed for her future. I prayed for wisdom in her. I prayed for a sensitive spirit on her. I pray consistently for her future spouse, even at two years old. See, because I understand I can only do so much as her dad, and I need her heavenly father to watch over her and to guide her and direct her, but Men, listen, our prayers, women, our prayers do not go unheard. Pray for the generations after you. I pray for her children. Pray for my future grandchildren. I don't even want to think about being a grandpa yet. But you see, we need to get into this idea of protecting our homes. And we need to invite others into that process. You see, Nehemiah, his people that were working for him, they understood the idea of protecting their homes. Just recently, I was out in Kansas City, and I'm meeting with the pastor out there at a church partner of ours, and it was right before Christmas, and I asked him, you know, he's got a large family, several kids. I said, you know, they're all adults, grandkids now and everything. I said, what do you guys do for Christmas? He said, oh, all the kids come in, man. He said, it's so great. They're all over the country, and they all come into our home at Christmas, and he goes, we started this thing several years ago where we all draw a name, and whoever we get on Christmas morning as a family, we sit in our living room and we just speak blessing into that person. See, it's not, that guy gets it. He understands the idea of protecting his home and speaking life not only into his children but his grandchildren. And that will be a practice that I guarantee you goes on for generations because one man steps up and says, we're just going to speak a blessing upon my family. You see, serving our families... Service to our families, it's a heart issue. It's a choice. 
the people that rebuilt the gates and the walls nearest to their home, that was a choice. And they opted to do that because it was closest to their home. It was very important to them. And so we need to evaluate. Where is our family in our priorities? Don't do it for you, but do it for the generations after you. Step three, I'm going to kind of bump through the next couple of ones. I want to go back just very quickly. I just feel like i got to share this. Man, it's very simple to pray with your family before you leave for work every morning. It's very simple to gather your family in the living room and read scripture with them. It's very easy to pray now for your children's spouses. It's very easy right now to pray for your grandchildren. It's very easy right now to host formal ceremonies, to introduce your young boy into manhood or to introduce your young daughter to this idea of what a woman looks like and what womanhood looks like. It's very easy to allow our children to fail if we allow it to be easy. And I believe these are all little things that we can do to start protecting our homes. Step three on how to champion a community collaboration, I believe, is to embrace diversity. Embrace diversity. As you read through Nehemiah 3, you can't help but notice the tremendous amount of diversity that is involved here with the people that are doing the work, that are involved in the project. It's very interesting. And I have them listed up here. You can see them in bullet points and you can go to the scriptures and see this. But it talks about religious leaders. It talks about the Levites. It talks about skilled craftsmen and rulers and servants and the residents of Jerusalem and even beyond Jerusalem that would come in from outside areas. It talked about both men and women. In fact, in verse uh, 12, it talks about the daughters being involved in the reconstruction. You see, it's a very diverse, eclectic group of people that are doing the work. And God brings all these people together for one specific purpose, to rebuild the wall, to reconstruct the wall. Different locations, different occupations, different social classes, different genders. You see, that all came together for the common good. It all came together for one common goal. And multiple times throughout chapter 3, you see phrases like this and you read phrases like this. Next to him. Next to them. After him. After them. You see, we need to embrace this idea of working with others who don't typically fit our social profiles, who we're not typically very comfortable around. And if you want to evaluate, I, I felt like the Lord asked me, told me this, you know, kind of asked me to evaluate my openness to diversity. I'm not just talking race and gender and all that stuff, but understand my heart here. Ask yourself this question. If you really want to embrace your idea of diversity, ask yourself this question. Do my neighbors know that I'm a Christian? Do my neighbors know that I'm a Christian? Well, Garrett, what's that have to do with diversity? Well, are you a loving neighbor? Are you embracing your neighbors that live directly across the street from you or directly next to you? When was the last time I had my neighbors over for dinner? I can't recall when I've done that. When was the last time I went on a missions trip? You see, there's questions you can start thinking about. But you see, we need to embrace this idea of diversity because of our purpose. Our purpose is not our career. 
Our purpose, first and foremost, is this. Love God and then make disciples. Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Love God, make disciples. That's every single one of our purpose in lives. Now, we will each have unique callings. We may do have different jobs. We may have different careers. My calling is obviously different than most of you in this room. But we all have the same purpose. Love God and make disciples. We don't get to choose who we love. We don't get to choose who we disciple. We are called to love all and to disciple all. Embracing diversity. And if we are going to live out that purpose, we have to do it. We have to live in this idea of diversity. Step four on how to, communi- or how to build and how to champion community collaboration. Expect apathy. Expect apathy. What, does, what do you mean by that? Well, not everyone will be interested in what you're doing. Not everyone will be interested in what God has called you to do. Not everyone will uh, have the same enthusiasm. Not everyone will have the same concerns as you do. In fact, if you look at Nehemiah 3.5, we see this is very evident here in this scripture. It says, the next section repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They would not do the work. They were not enthused by it. There was no interest in doing the work. And there was no concern in doing the work. And all throughout scripture, we read about men and women who are called by God for a specific task. And not once, maybe I'm wrong here, and you can come talk to me after the service, but when a person that I read about in Scripture, a man or a woman has a calling, specifically from God, I have not found anybody yet that did not face opposition. In fact, following after God's will and doing the things and being obedient to what God calls us to is much more difficult than satisfying the desires of my flesh, doing what I want to do. Living out God's purpose, living out God's call, living out God's specific task for you is much more difficult than it would be if you just ignored it. I have here in my notes, living a life of obedience to God is much more difficult than satisfying the desires of our flesh. You see, because satisfying our own personal selfish desires, it's very, very easy, which is why many of us do it. I'm reading a book right now by Stephen Scott. It's, about the, uh, it's a book on Solomon. It's called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. And he says this in here about um, doing the easy things. He says, in fact, the trait common to all humans is our desire or our drive for instant gratification. We want as much as we can get as fast as we can get it, with as little effort as possible. We all have a natural inclination to follow the path of least resistance. So why do I share that? Why I really believe that when we are live a life that is obedient to God, we will go down a path of resistance. People will fight it. People will not be excited about it. You will face challenges. We will face challenges. People are more likely in your community will more than likely not want to follow you down a path that is of God. More than likely will not want to follow you down that path. Which is why we as Christ followers have to come to expect apathy. We have to understand that when Mission View Church wants to come together, or when one person in Mission View feels like there's something to do here in North Canton, something to do for the community, 
Do everything in your power to support and encourage that person because I can tell you, when you have a calling, it can be a lonely place sometimes. Just meeting with the men yesterday, I can tell there's this idea of being shoulder to shoulder in this congregation and coming together. And I want to encourage all of us to continue that attitude. Expect apathy. And the last part I want to bring up here, or the second to last, just say, is, is to work hard. How do we champion community collaboration? I believe we have to work hard. In Nehemiah 3.20, says this, Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. Zealously. Now, why do I share this and what's the significance of this? Well, we obviously know that this idea of some people working harder than others is very evident in our communities and in our culture. However, zealously is the only adverb used in this entire chapter. It is the only adverb used in the entire chapter. The Hebrew word and the Hebrew meaning of this is like to burn or to glow, um, glowing light, if you will, suggesting that he, he more than likely burned a lot of energy. He worked very hard, and he worked so hard that he glowed to others. He was a light to others. Now, who else do we know as being the light? Well, Jesus Christ says that I am the light of the world, right? And here's a guy that's working so hard, so zealously, that he's a burning light. He sticks out to others. Others can see him. They see the work he's doing. They're talking about him. There's something different about him that he's glowing. He's sticking out. He looks different than the rest of the population. He looks different than the rest of the workers. So much so that they mention it in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Listen, why you are here, let's work. And let's do things well. Let's work hard. Proverbs 18.9, one who is slack in his work is brother to the one who destroys. I had a coach growing up wrestling. He used to tell me all the time, Garrett, you might not be the most talented, but you can work hard because hard work beats talent. Hard work beats talent. He used to tell me all the time, hard work beats talent, hard work beats talent. And being a coach, I tell our parents all the time, like, I will take 14 kids in my lineup that know how to fight and know how to work hard over talent any day. Because you can't coach talent. So they're hard to coach. That idea of hard work and grit and, and, and preparing and, and doing the hard things, man, I'll take 14 of those kids every day. They look different in the room. They look different in the wrestling room. They look different on the wrestling mat. And I believe as Christ followers, this idea of working hard in our communities, we stick out when we do those things. People are attracted to that. They want to jump on board when others are working zealously. And I'm going to end here today with this last idea of how to champion community collaboration is to be extraordinary, not extraordinary, but be extraordinary. All throughout this chapter, we see the ordinary people doing the work. 
We see the families doing the work. We see the leaders of the homes doing the work. Yeah, there's mentions of priests and of those things, but a majority of this work was done by the people in this community. We do not need a heaven-sent calling upon our lives to do the work. Why do we know that? Well, God used a teenage girl to bring in our Savior into this world. He turns a shepherd boy into a king. He takes a stuttering man <laughs> and turns him into a man that leads and saves a nation under bondage. See, he uses ordinary people. You've heard it before. He doesn't call the qualified. He calls the unqualified, right? So here's the deal. When you want to be extraordinary, you will not more than likely be equipped. You more than likely will not be ready. You might not feel qualified. You might not have any experience. But you do have something in your back pocket. You're ordinary. And that's who God uses. Because ordinary people... They come alongside their neighbors. They come alongside of people in their community. Ordinary people get others to collaborate. Ordinary people encourage their neighbors, encourage their community. Ordinary people can do those things. And so that's why I want to encourage all of us to focus on being extraordinary. How do we champion community collaboration? We have to prioritize. I believe we have to protect our homes because when we protect our homes, it sticks out to other people. People see our families are different. We have to embrace this concept of diversity. We have to expect apathy. We have to work hard and we have to be extraordinary. Very, very simple principles here that we can pull from Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to call Pastor Steve to the front. He's going to end today's service. He's going to pray over you. He's going to share a few things. I want to say thank you for allowing me this opportunity to to be here and to share what God put on my heart. I hope you guys were able to take a few key things away. Just know that we're praying for you. We're praying for your pastor as an organization, our board, our staff. Uh, we're praying for the, your church, and we're praying for this community. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Garrett. A couple things as we close out today. Um, the title of our sermon, our series in Nehemiah is called Together. And I think it's so important that we understand why we need this series together. I don't know if you recall, but back in September, I said that one of the things that the Lord's laid on my heart is that we would be a healthy body, that we would be a healthy church. And we started going through 2 Corinthians and, and working for God, and the idea was that we would work together. It's an internal work. It's a work where we are, that we are serving alongside each other, we're, we're, we're sharing the gospel with each other. We're doing warfare with each other. It's this idea of together. And as we've come into the, the winter months, we've entered into Nehemiah with this continuous idea of together. Why? Why is it so important? And where we're going after this, we're going to do a family series. And then we're going to do Philippians. And it's all about together. And it's all about us having health. I didn't realize at that time how much there would be an internal warfare that we would go through as a church. It's not a bad thing. 
It's just a struggle. It's just what we are going through in life. And here's what I know. I know that when we are healthy as a church, healthy things grow. And sometimes in our health, we have to fight off infection. In our health, we have to just struggle. And what I know is we're struggling. As your pastor, I watch over you by praying for you. I take the directory, and my goal is every single week to pray through every single name of the church. And this week, it just dawned on me the things that we're going through. Now, some of these things aren't bad. They're actually good things. We are in, on an infectious level having babies. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. But what it does is it translates into weary eyes of moms and dads that have not been able to sleep through the night. And they're coming in on Sunday morning. And they're, they're you know, one child was, was one thing. And now it's stepped up to two children. And so that's difficult. We need each other. We need each other to come alongside of each other. We know that there are some that are have been in the process of adoption or are in the process of adoption, you realize how weary that can be? The anticipation, the, we call it paper pregnancy, uh, just waiting, anticipating, working through the legal aspects. We need each other. We need our community for that. In this body, we've had sickness. In this body, uh, I know I speak on behalf of Vicki and myself. Um, we have, as we've struggled with cancer and worked through that, man, the church has been beautiful. You guys have been awesome. Caring about us, weathering, knowing, just asking the question, of, can I hug you today or not? We struggle. There have been some that have been suddenly hospitalized. I know Chris Dorpler has been working through just because he's had a he had a, a kidney kidney tra and pancreas transplant at some point in his life, not too long ago, and so there's still some after effects of that. There are those that have had miscarriages. There are those that have experienced death in their families. There are those that are overcoming personal hurts. There are some of you that have experienced loss of work, loss of a spouse, not necessarily by death, but by that absence. Some of you have had children move away. Some of you have had job transfers. And the, probably one of the most recent that I'm agonizing over, and I know some of you guys are agonizing over, is Evan and Carol Belthuizen. Their son, Corey, is, he's been in Altman Hospital this week. He's uh, on a ventilator. He'll probably have a trach, and um, they'll put him a little bit, because he's too weak. Um, he, sometime this week, there was even a question as to whether he would make it through the night. 25 years of age, newly married, has a six-month-old daughter. 
there's a lot that's going on. And right now, what I'd like us to do is I want us to get shoulder to shoulder. I'd like you to stand. I'd like the sides to move in. And I want you to get shoulder to shoulder with somebody right now. And I want us just to lift up the health of this body, and then we'll close out in song. But just get close to somebody. Grab somebody's hand. Get shoulder to shoulder because this is what we need. We need Nehemiah 3 right now in this body. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. And we need each other. And Lord, as a body of Christ, we cry out to you in the midst of all the things that we are facing. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be symbolic for all of us, Lord Jesus, that we need the body of Christ. We need to have one person next to the other person and that we are there for each other in the midst of the life things that we go through. And so, Lord, I pray that you would create a strength in this body. I pray that you would create such a welcoming spirit that those that come and are a part of this body, they would immediately feel that they are a part of family. And I pray, Father, that whatever division there could be, whatever sense of attack that the enemy would have on this body, I pray that you would protect it. And I pray, Father, that you would, uh, that you would be the one who would get rid of all doubt, all fear. And I pray, Father, that perfect love would cast those things out. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize, to recognize right now that in Christ, in Christ alone, we have unity. Lord, you tell us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, you don't tell us to create that unity of the Spirit. You tell us to preserve it because it's already ours. And so, Lord, as a body of Christ, as, as your extension of your bride, I pray, Father, that we would be one. And I pray that our heart would be one with each other and that we would even be one with those even outside, those that are of other expressions of the body of Christ. I pray that you would help us to get rid of all disunity, even amongst believers. Instead of criticizing other churches, help us to love gospel-oriented churches that are proclaiming Christ and celebrate them. Pray, Father, that you would do that work in a very special way.